Well, we are in the final act of the Gospel of Mark. We've been looking at Mark uh, throughout this season of Lent, uh, this divine mystery, as I've called it. And, and, and Mark, as I've said, uh, was written like a great mystery novel or like a, a, a great three-act play. And here we are in the final scene, the final act. I've called Mark a, a divine mystery, but unlike other mystery novels or stories, we're not trying to fig- figure out who did it, who killed Jesus. No, we, we know that part. We're actually trying to figure out who is Jesus. Why has he come? And, and how will we respond to him? How will we react? And, and in this final act, that's the question we're asking. How will we respond? How will we react to Jesus? And the way that Mark ends this story in itself is, is a mystery. Uh, but we'll go into that in a moment. But first, I want us to look again at what happens on this Sunday morning, Easter morning. Uh, the text says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, three women, uh, they, they come, they get up early on Sunday morning, and, and they go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Now, they had, were going to finish this burial process that had actually started on Friday. But uh, it was interrupted because of the Sabbath. And in, uh, for the Jewish people, the Sabbath, uh, or the day, began at the evening. So Jesus was crucified on Friday. Uh, he said at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon he died. And so they began to anoint his body after that. They took him down from the cross, took, placed him in the tomb. But then the Sabbath came, and so they had to stop. And so now the Sabbath went Friday night to Saturday night. So now they're getting up Sunday morning to come to the tomb to finish the burial process. Now, it's interesting because up until this this moment, there really hasn't been a a lot uh, talked about of women following Jesus. It it just talks about, uh, you know, the 12 disciples and that that there's constantly a crowd that is following Jesus wherever he goes. But but here in this uh, final scene these three women kind of leap onto the page, and they're the crucial witnesses of both Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Wow. They are the key witnesses to this event. And it's interesting because later Jewish law would say that it would require two male witnesses to verify the truth of something. But here we have three females as the first witnesses. Isn't that amazing? I think it's fascinating. It's one of the many reasons why even skeptics have to admit that this event actually took place. Because who would invent such a story? A guy is raised from the dead, a Jew, and the first witnesses to the event are women. Not likely. If you were to invent a story, you would at least have two male witnesses. So it would be verified. But here we have these women. They're the key witnesses. But as the women are coming to the tomb, they begin to ask themselves the question, who's going to roll away the stone? Wouldn't they have planned ahead on this part? This is the part that really bugs me because I'm the type A personality. I like details. I like everything laid out. I like to know who's doing what, when, what time we're going to show up, all these details. I would really have liked to have known this ahead of time. Come on. You know, you're, you're already on the way, and they're asking this question, who's going to roll away the stone? 
I think you should have thought of that ahead of time. That's, that's just me. But, but here's the thing I've also learned over the years is when you deal with people who are in the midst of grief, when you deal with people who are in the midst of tragedy, when you deal with people who are in the midst of shock, sometimes logic and straight thinking doesn't apply. And so I can just picture that they're going to the tomb and it kind of dawns on them, who's going to roll away the stone? It, it's, it's a good question, though. It's a legitimate concern. For the, for the stone rolled in front of the grave most likely would have been a challenge to move once it has been set in place. In fact, this is a, a gravestone uh, in Israel that my wife and I are standing in front of. Now, this would have been in front of a tomb of a wealthy man, but Jesus was buried in the tomb of a wealthy man. And so you can see it's, it could have been quite large, uh, uh, this stone that was placed in front of the tomb. But they get to the tomb and they realize that the stone has already been rolled away. And upon entering the tomb, they see uh, this, what they call a young man. He's dressed all in white. And we know he's a messenger of God, that he's an angel. And he comes to proclaim the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And he says these words, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Do not be alarmed. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is an excellent time to be alarmed. Uh, you know, imagine you're going to a cemetery to see a dead man and you see an angel come to you saying, hey, this dead man's alive. I'm going to be alarmed. Sorry, that's just the way it is. And, and, and these, but that's the way it is in Mark. Throughout Mark, we see people uh, responding to Jesus, responding to situations with fear. They live in fear. Over and over again in the Gospel of Mark, we see this time after time. People are responding in fear and not in faith. And the angel, rightly so, is telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just, just trust. Have faith. Now, Mark began the Gospel with God's messenger. Remember John the Baptist proclaiming what God was about to do? And here at the end of the book, we have another messenger, an angel, proclaiming what God has done. So we have these bookends, God's messenger at the beginning, John the Baptist, and God's messenger at the end, this angel, proclaiming what God will, uh, will do and then what God has done. And the angel tells the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter, the time for secrecy is done, is gone. The time is now right to go and tell. Go and proclaim. And it says that Jesus is going to go ahead of them to Galilee, the place where he started his ministry, the place where he spent most of his time. He said, I'm going to go to Galilee, just like I told you. And, and so you're to come and meet Jesus there. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the place where I wish Mark was a little more elaborative in his description of what takes place. You know, the whole resurrection is spoken of in one phrase. He has been raised. Is that it? He's been raised? You know, if someone comes back from the dead and you just say, he's been raised. It's kind of like talking to my sixth grader, saying, how was your day? What'd you do? It was fine. Any more? Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on what happened? But no, Mark's not that way. He just says, he's been raised. And he kind of just moves on. He can forces the, and, and that's the way Mark was written. We see, if you've been reading through Mark, that constantly he, he says immediately, 
immediately. And, and it just keeps that pace going quickly. And he keeps going and he, he just moves right along. And he's pressing on. And, and, and this is where even more mystery comes into the story. We read the final line of the Gospel of Mark. Here it is. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the final line of the Gospel of Mark. Do you know that? Mark 16, 8. Now, if you have your Bible out and you're following along, get it out. You'll probably see in your Bible, it doesn't end there. Where does it end? What? 20? Mark 16, 20. That's right. But here's the thing. If you look at your Bible and you look at the footnotes, it will say something like this. Scholars believe that Mark ends at Mark 16, 8. And there are at least two other, maybe three other endings. And so you have those other endings of Mark that were added later. We don't know who added them, but they were added later. We have a shorter ending and a longer ending. But is that any way to end a book? Really? They went away afraid? They went out and fled from the tomb for, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The end. You know, it, it leaves me asking for more. Again, just like the resurrection, could you give me a little more? But this is the way. It feels like someone tore the last page of the book out. I don't know if you've, you know, you're reading a book and all of a sudden you get to the last page and you're like, uh-oh, it's missing. And it's like right in the middle of the sentence, in fact. In fact, some scholars believe, truly, that we're missing the last page of Mark, that it just disappeared over the centuries. We don't know. Some believe that because here's, here's why they think that. Because Mark was written in Greek, right? The New Testament was written in Greek. That was the language it was written in. And the sentence, Mark 16, 8, ends with the Greek word we translate as for. And the word actually requires other words after it to complete the sense of it. It'd be like me saying, let's go to Galilee for. For what? What for? Where are we going? I don't understand. But, but that's the way Mark ends. In fact, as I said, scholars are deeply divided on Mark's ending. There are many who think that Mark's conclusion is missing somehow. Some think that the last page was torn out. Some even think that Mark died before he could write the last of it. I'm thinking, really, could he not have held on for just one more minute? You know? And that other... And this is the reason why there are these alternate endings, because someone read it and said, wait a minute, that, that doesn't feel right. We need to add an ending to this sentence, or we're going to add some other stories we already know about Jesus to kind of wrap this whole thing up. But there are other scholars who think that Mark intended to end it this way. And I honestly don't know what to think. Uh, there are some days I, I think one way, and some days I think another. Uh, there are times I agree with both sides, but, but here's the thing. Here, listen to this. Intentional or unintentional, this is the way Mark ends. That's part of the mystery of it, isn't it? There's mystery even in the ending. It's this divine mystery, and it's forcing us to ask the question, who is Jesus? Why has he come? How will we react? How will we respond to this story? You see, the ending of the Gospel of Mark is not the ending. Now, if we go back to the opening sentence of the Gospel, 
We realize this. It's only the end of the beginning. How does Mark begin? It says this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This isn't the end. It's only the end of the beginning. We think that the end has come, but it hasn't. We had hoped that this part would end differently, right? I need something else. But it didn't. And that's the way life is so often. <laughs> we wished it would end up a little differently. This is it, though. This is what you got. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this ending? But there, there it is. It's in front of us. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? This, this story that began with the announcement of the coming of the kingdom of God now ends with the women running in a fear, afraid. What do we do with that? Who's going to share the message of Jesus Christ? You know, who's left to proclaim the resurrection? Everyone else has run in terror and fled afraid. And then it ends. But here's where I realized there's, there, there, I forgot about there's someone. There has been, there's someone who has been here the entire story, from the beginning to the end. Someone who was with Jesus the whole time. Someone that heard God's voice proclaim to Jesus that he was his son when he was baptized. Someone who was present with Jesus when he was tempted in the desert by Satan when no one else was around. Someone who was present with Jesus when his family and his friends and his hometown rejected him. When the crowds and the disciples and the religious leaders, remember, when they misunderstood and abandoned Jesus, this person was there. When Jesus tried time after time to tell his disciples that he was going to be crucified, this person was there. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and everyone else slept, this person heard Jesus weeping. This person was there in the story. When the disciples fled Jesus at the cross, this person was present. When Jesus cried out in misery, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This person heard. Who was it? It was you. It was you. You, you were the non-participant observer in the whole story. As you read from Mark 1.1 to Mark 16.8. You were the one reading. You were the one seeing, visualizing. You were the one hearing it, witnessing every event. And now we stand at the final act. This incomplete narrative that ends with the word for. In which everyone else seems to have abandoned Jesus and fled in fear. And this is where I hope you realize you know, you thought the story was about someone else and their decisions and how they reacted. You, you thought this story was just a, a history of what took place. And now it begins to dawn on you, this story is about you. How are you going to react? You've gotten to the end. What are you going to do? This is now your part of the story. How are you going to respond to Jesus? We're left with a decision to make. It's on you. Today you must choose. What do I do with Jesus? Do I run in fear and afraid? Will you respond in fear? Or will you respond in faith? That's the calling today. That's Easter. Let us pray.